I want to open up a new series that will carry us to our Christmas sermon series. And on purpose this morning, the idea of rebuilding foundations inside of the family. I will say this again, I'll say this, and, and I really appreciate the, the, the theme that God gave the ladies for their women's retreat, which is, is refocus. And I will say this to anybody I talk to that, that thinks that 2020 is a waste. I feel like God uses everything and all things to bring us back, to focus our attention and if 2020's done anything, it's brought, it's brought some focus on maybe some things you had ignored. Hello, somebody. Some things you wanted to maybe not deal with. Some things that you knew were there, didn't know how to deal with. But it kind of, it brought some things to the surface that I think is very, very important. In particular, thanks brother. On the subject of marriage, which we just came out of. And now we follow this up on family. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you know anything about Pastor Don, you, you know that I love the book of Nehemiah. Um, there's an inter interesting book out called uh, With Total Abandon uh, uh, on the book of Nehemiah about discipleship. Um, it's an interesting book for sure. I have a love for this book for a lot of reasons. And the sense that it carries us on mission, it speaks to us about purpose, it reaffirms in our hearts and lives that God is in the rebuilding business. Hello, somebody. Y'all didn't get that. This is the family sermon series. Come on. God is in the rebuilding business. And when God rebuilds something, he builds it back for his glory and his honor. This book leads us in, into all kinds of areas. And one statement stands out in this book to me when I think about families. And that is Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14. Watch this. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14. Nehemiah says, then I looked over the situation. Have, have, have you looked over the situation lately? Come on somebody. Maybe, maybe some of us are going through life like an ostrich with our head, head just tucked down as far as we can into the sand. But no, Nehemiah, he doesn't tuck his head in the sand. I, I love what he says. He says, then I looked over the situation and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And then he gives them an instruction. Watch this. And he said, fight for your brothers. For your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word. So the receiving of our heart, the hearing of our ears, let it be fruit planted in our lives. For your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? I make this statement. Maybe you want to write it down. Maybe you want to do what you do with it. But I want to make this statement. And I want you to hear me very clearly. I don't you be distracted at all when I make this statement. Your family is worth fighting for. <laughs> Some of you are like, you, you don't know my family, Pastor Don. <laughs> 
Your family's worth fighting for. The question is, we need to learn how to do that. And I hope over the next few weeks that what we'll do is we'll take a couple of things, the topics in particular, that will equip us and encourage us and push us to do just that. I said, your family is worth fighting for. Notice, I did not say fighting with. You probably don't need any help knowing how to do that. Some of you might have experienced that this morning. Come on, Sunday mornings can be some of the most tense mornings in the world. Trying to get up, get everybody out the door, get everybody here. I mean, how come it seems like, you know, if the devil is ever loose, he's loose on Sunday mornings trying to get ready to come to church. Some of y'all on the way to, on the way to church, you parents, you're trying to cast demons out of your kids in the back seat. And if you can't reach them, you just hit the brake real quick so they slide forward so you can't reach them. You know how you can time that? They're back there ducking and weaving like Muhammad Ali and you just hit the brake so you time it just right in the name of Chief. I said, come out. Your family's worth fighting for. And we got to embrace this. We can't, we can't, we don't, we need to be the place we don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to make any excuses for it. Especially when we're tired. Especially when we're aggravated. Especially when things aren't going right. When things have maybe fallen off the wagon a little bit or gone down a trail we didn't want to go down with our family. Or something happens that we didn't anticipate would happen. Something that drags us down as a family hurts our hearts or tears us apart. Those are the times where in the current world most people are giving up on their family. It's not worth the fight. But I just want to say something to you with all my heart. If your family's not worth the fight, there isn't anything on this planet worth the fight. And I don't, want, I don't want the world dictating to me, to you, or to any of us what that should look like. The scripture has already declared it. There's something about families. And the truth of the matter is, you know it just like I do, that our families can be the source of the greatest joy or the deepest heartaches. Some of us sitting right in this room right now, you carry with you great value and honor because your family placed that in you. And some of you in this room right now, some of you listening, you carry with you some of the deepest scars and your family gave that to you. Come on, I, I want to be real. You know, I, Pastor, no, I'm not the preacher that's going to blow smoke. I want to be real. I want to be honest about this thing. Every one of us probably, every one of us probably have great value and great scars. Because of family. How much time do we spend spinning our wheels or unable to move forward because of a heartache from family. There's so much emotion attached to our families than any other unit in society. And I want, you to, I want you to understand, if you read the scripture just nominally, just a little bit, you'll understand that Jesus has some very revolutionary things to say about family. 
I love it when we hear him talk about this topic, and I'm going to get into it in just a little bit. And in order to set all this up, I mean, I do, sometimes I do a little, like, research. I ask some people some questions about family. And, you know, just kind of wanted to give us a, a, an illustration or something that we can all hang on to. And so, I was thinking about this subject of family, and I just happened to run into Doug's mom again. You guys know her, Miss Nancy, spelled with an I. Doug married a Nancy, spelled with a Y. But, but I just happened to run into Miss Nancy again. I was thinking about this sermon, and, and I said, Miss Nancy, you know, Doug and I, walk, we've been walking together for, man, almost 18 years. Those, you know, it's been a long time, and, you know, our, our families are interwined. Like, my son married his daughter, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm, I'm real interested in, like, you know, your family and, and, and what, you know, when Doug was a little boy. And she says, Boy, I could tell you some stories. She said, but one just pops off of my mind right now. And I was like, what, what story is that? She said, you know, when Doug was a little boy, he struggled in school. Grades weren't the highest. And it was always a wrestling to get him to study and make good grades. And every, every reporting season, Doug would bring home his report card and we'd have to have some family meeting about why he couldn't keep his grades up. And this one time, he brought home his report card and man, it was full. A lot of bad grades. She said, so I looked at Doug and I said, Doug, all these bad grades on this report card. I can't believe it. How many times are we going to talk about this? Over and over and over again. Look at this report card, Doug. What do you have to say for yourself about all these bad grades on your report card? She said, you know what Doug did? He looked me right in the eye and he says, well, Mom, at least you know I ain't cheating. Is your family interesting? I did, I, I, I did a little stand-up thing one time at the, at the uh, center there in uh, Sturgis. Sturgis Young. And um, my, my stepmom who raised me, she had flown up for that weekend. Uh, wonderful. I love her. Um, and, and she's unique. A few, few people have met her. She's a little unique. And I, I, you know, it, I, it's amazing she ever speaks to me. I had so much fun with that woman growing up. She raised me, loved me. She considered me her son. Oh, it was never any less than. I wasn't a stepchild. In, in my family, there wasn't that idea of stepchildren or stepparenting. Um, she was my mom. And I wasn't less than her son. She was less than my mom. And as a matter of fact, the idea of step-parenting and step it's not biblical. Jesus was a stepchild, if you want to think about it. But the Bible calls Joseph his father. So, uh, hello, somebody. I did this little joke, and she was sitting right there on the front row, and it was all about her. It was hilarious. 
And, and some of that hilarious stuff just comes out of our life. It was just natural. It was true stories. Uh, Bo and Tim tried to beat us down. Well, they did beat me down to Florida just to get some more stories one time from my dad. But after that thing, that was hilarious, right? She's crying. She's laughing so hard. It was true stories. Someone came up afterwards and just lectured me. Like, you shouldn't talk about your mom that way. I'm like, she's right over there. You go talk to her. <laughs> that was a true story. Is your family unique? Come on, you can tell some stories. I cannot tell you how many times my wife looks at me. Something will happen in our family. Something will happen at my house. And she will look at me and go, that better not ever wind up in a sermon. Let's talk about this. We're told as believers, as Christians, that we should be pro-family. And I believe that. I really do. The problem is this. Over the last 100 years, the definition of family has changed tremendously. In the beginning, uh, maybe 100 years ago, there was this idea of the extended family. The, the extended family was father, mother, children, grandparents. The, 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 the family as a whole lived together, maybe working in the same business or maybe on a farm. And, and the family was always together. And as you grew, it just extended and extended and extended on there. I, I remember growing up uh, in Florida on what we called Smith Hill. Five acres my grandparents had four kids, and each one of them lived on an acre all together. All his cousins were together. It was always, it was called Smith Hill. I can take you still there today. That's where everybody lived. Everybody was together. And, and that was part of the process. That was the, the family was an extended thing. It was just huge how it looked like. And, and, and that's all but disappeared. And in its place came the idea of the nuclear family. Dad and mom, children living together, but the grandparents live somewhere else. And maybe you would take trips to go visit grandmom and granddad, right? The nuclear family. They, they didn't live with you, grandparents, anymore. Mom and dad lived together with kids, and, and, and that was kind of the, the way it was. And, and you had to go visit grandparents and those type of things. And, and, and then that kind of fades a little bit. And now we move into what we call the traditional family as the years go down. And the traditional family looks like mom, dad, and kids. There, there are some kids who maybe don't have a relationship at all with their grandparents. Just because maybe they died early or they wasn't there. They lived too far away to spend much time together. Or those type of things because of the way life was. Or, 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 or just the way it flowed out. But the, the traditional family, just mom, dad, and kids. And, and that, that fades in and out. And now we come to a place where we call the typical family. And let me talk to you about the typical family. The typical family, Parents. Step-parents, single-parents. The typical family might look like grandparents raising their grandkids. 
There, there's an advocacy group that meets here uh, once a month or whatever. It's called Parents Again. And it's grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. This is the typical family. It's, it's not odd that, uh, you know, like you might talk to some kids who might be young and, and think, well, you know, where do you live? Where do you live? You know, your parents and like, oh, no, I live with my grandparents. It's just, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a thought anymore because like, and it just goes on and on and on with a typical family uh, could be anything. And so it's no wonder that when we talk about family, we struggle with confusion and discouragement because we're lost in the understanding of what that even is. And so just like this, I can announce that, hey, we're going to have a family series. And because you go instantly to what you think you've been taught family should be, and you measure your family by that definition, you might not even come because you think this message doesn't apply to you. This series doesn't help you because our family isn't traditional. I'm a single parent. I don't really have a family. Hello, somebody. Our, our family is based against the definition the world is giving us that it should look like. And therefore, when Pastor Don and the elders talk about a family sermon series, we, we might fall back on that and say, well, that's not a lot of good helpful information for me. I don't need to put a priority on that. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus has a lot to say about family. And it will blow your mind that he wasn't interested in traditions. He knew this would happen. He knew that we would be in this place. And, and I'm going to get there in a little bit. But in Mark chapter 3. They come to him and say. Jesus your family's outside. And, and he says. Basically I'm just paraphrasing. Who, who is my family? You, you are my family. Come on. He knew that what would happen would be that brokenness would enter into the world that we live in. And it would, it would continue to be so broken that it would redefine the idea, especially of family, that he would have to speak to this thing. So he addresses it. Who's my mother and my brother? It's a great question. And you can read that scripture real quick and you think, well, Jesus is just being rude or he didn't have time to, to deal with this. But his answer to our family issues is an answer that involves kingdom ideas about family. My church. Now, I've given you a couple of words. Extended family. I've given you nuclear family. I've given you traditional family. I've given you typical family. We've got to that place. But I want you to understand, Jesus is bringing us to a place where he wants us to understand the idea of communal family. Where we experience what the world has robbed from us. But in a relational and spiritual environment that is more healthy than the broken environment that has scarred you and caused you to believe you don't have family. Where young people can, can sit and feel like maybe a parent abandoned them. Maybe a dad's never been involved in your life. Or maybe a mom was never involved in your life. And you can experience a kingdom idea of family where God puts in place their spiritual dad or spiritual... Come on, somebody. 
Or maybe at you as an older person, you're thinking in this more, uh, there's no more, I'm older now. I don't really have any, any more benefit. I can't, I don't have any more purpose in life because I'm old. No, see, God has placed in our lives spiritual grandparents. Those who we look to to say there's a legacy. I, I, I want to learn from them. I, I don't know about you. I got invited to speak at, at a Republican event. It was Abraham Lincoln's birthday event. And there, there they were going to honor World War II veterans. There ain't many of them left. Hello, somebody. They asked me to be the keynote speaker at the event, which I love doing. And then they said, how much do you charge? I'm like, I don't charge anything. No, you, we need to know how much to give you for coming and doing the event. And I said, okay, listen, here's what I want. Here's my payment. I want to sit at the table with the World War II vets. That's what I want. My, I want, I mean, there, there's six, seven, eight more years. Ain't going to be any more of them. I want to hear from them. And I, I remember asking, looking at this one guy. He's 96 years old. And I said, tell me, I'm a young man trying to be a good leader in the community. Tell me what you think about leadership. And he looked me right in the eye, put his little coffee cup down. And he said, young man, you better hear me. You cannot lead from behind. You better get yourself out in front. Now, he said a few other words that I won't say in my sermon. <laughs> but I really appreciated the motivation. He don't have to apologize to me. He's earned whatever. <laughs> you better get out in front. And that's in your family. That's in the community. That's at work. He said anything in your life that is going on that you feel like you need to be in the rear. You ain't ever going to be a leader anywhere. I, I, I was so pumped up to speak. How about this? If you go to the south or you meet some of my friends from the south, they might not refer to me as PD like a bunch of y'all do. You might hear somebody say, Brother Don. Or sometimes I might be looking for Lisa and you might hear me just say, Where's Sister Lisa? There's a communal idea of family. That's my brother, that's my sister. We're together in the kingdom. God has brought us. And I have a dad. I have a mom. I have brothers and sisters. But when Jesus starts speaking to me about the idea of kingdom and family, he begins to show me that what I may have put as dysfunction and allowed to paralyze me because of an earthly family, he intends to fix with a spiritual family. The family of God is defined by relationship and that is God's way to counter the threat of a secular situation that isn't traditional. I'm just going to put this out here because I don't believe anybody in this room or anybody who's watching right now has a traditional family. And there are people say, oh, this sermon series isn't for me because my family isn't traditional. Whose is? Come on, y'all know y'all got some jacked up family. <laughs> and if you don't, if you're not aware of that, you might be the jacked up person in the family. <laughs> Just say it. 
I got no idea. And they're like, we know. <laughs> Clueless. See, this series on family doesn't alienate you just because you think your family situation isn't perfect. I want to say that right away, today, all the way through it. I, I want to grab a hold of that right now. Satan will do everything he can, everything in his power to tear down the walls of a spiritual protection around those you love. The reason, the reason that we can say families can be the source of our greatest joy or the source of our deepest heartache is because no matter what, we love them. And you, should, you don't have to apologize for loving a knothead. My family loves me. I think. I love the fact that no matter what someone's doing in life, I don't have to apologize for loving them. Even if you think they're not lovable. I may not go on vacation with them. But this is, this is a truth, right? And I want you to understand as a father, as a grandfather, as a pastor, I'm concerned for what the future holds for my family and for your family. I'm concerned for what the future holds for the faith family. I'm concerned because we have allowed someone else to define, put parameters, and, 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 and speak to us as far as what is and what isn't. And so I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to go with me for the next four weeks. Step into the ring and remember what Nehemiah encouraged the people he was speaking to to do. He said, fight for your family. And, and the men have heard me say it before. This is my idea. I don't, I don't really, just because I'm a pastor, feel like I need to apologize to it either. But, uh, you know, I, the encouragement is, right? To passionately love our wives, to gently lead our children, and kill whatever gets in front of the first two. Slay it! Because the scripture encourages me to fight for my family. And Jesus puts a kingdom perspective on that. The scripture says that, that, that the kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by... Hello, somebody. I mean, I'm encouraging you to no longer sit in the shadows waiting for our children and our family to be destroyed. I just said it to you a couple weeks ago when I met with, with some, some people in the community who have made some decisions and their decisions said, were, look, we just thought it would be a great idea to do an experiment with kids. And I said, who gave you permission to do experiments with my children? It's not your job. Your job is to teach reading and writing. And by the time, by, and, and for looking at the, t the national test scores, I think you should focus on that a little bit more. You, your job's not to do an experiment with my kids just because, I don't, and, and this is again, I'm not against public schools, but I don't understand why the public schools think they own our children. 
just because we send them there. You know why? Because y'all don't go to the parent meetings. Y'all don't go to the school board meetings and say no. My son was going to do a school book report and he was going to do the report on Nehemiah. Because he knew a fellow who wrote a book on Nehemiah. And the school wouldn't let him do it. Instead, they made him check out a book in a library that had some of the most vulgar and pornographic scenes spelled out in it about a pagan hero. I want to be the one who says, I get to fight for my family. And the values don't come from you. Values come from this book which I teach my family. Fight for your families. Satan will do everything he can in his power to tear down the walls of spiritual protection around those we love. And I'm concerned. So I'm asking you to roll up your sleeves over the next four weeks. Get in the ring with me and let's stand up and fight. Let's do it. I have no idea what's going to happen after Tuesday, and neither do you. Anxiety and fear will lead us down all kinds of ways. But like Christy said before worship, if you're waiting for an election to fix everything, you started way too late. Because how I live my life is not determined by who's in the White House. I'm going to do my part, but this is important. Have you looked over the situation lately? That's what Nehemiah said to him. Have you? Have you got a? Have you? Are you aware of what's happening? Well, let me just tell you. I'll put this stat out there. I'm not real sure if it's 100% accurate, but the, the stat kind of goes like this: Half of all marriages end in divorce, even among born again believers. Drug use in middle school is on the rise. The average age of sexual activity is 11 and 12-year-olds. I just felt it. I felt, I felt that. The average fourth grader. How, how old is a fourth grader? Nine. Thank you. I've been out of it a little while. The average nine-year-old spends 400 hours a year playing video games. That's just the nine-year-old. How much is the 10, 11, 12? That's more than an hour a day. Seven days a week. According to Focus on the Family, children see violence, rape, adultery, burglary, drug use, vulgar language on TV on a regular basis, including Disney. Sometimes it can be the worst. Teen pregnancy is an epidemic. Yes, it is. And teen suicide... The average age is 15 years old before their brain is even fully developed and they can comprehend the full measure of any action. 
So much pressure, so much isolation, so much loneliness, so much struggle has been placed on our teenagers that you know just a few, just a little bit ago, we still deal with some of it. There was just a rampant spirit of suicide. And I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of the enemy. I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of the enemy. He is not all-powerful. Y'all not helping me. He, he will not do what he can to defeat us and win. We have already won. I read the end of the book, amen, and we win. Y'all not helping me, right? He must flee when we rebuke him. The Bible says to resist the devil. Submit yourself to God and he will flee. Some of y'all just need to cast the devil right out. Satan, not today. We're going to put the enemy under our feet. That's why Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. He didn't say, remember the enemy. He didn't say, remember your struggle. He didn't say, remember your dysfunction. He didn't say, remember your pain. He says, remember the Lord. You know why Nehemiah calls us to remember the Lord? Especially right before he encourages us to fight for our families. Because he wants us to understand that God is great. He wants us to know that God is glorious. He wants us to know that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He wants us to know that when we fight for our family, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus. God is on our side. He wants us to know that. And, and, and as I lay this out for you today, right, just some things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Brace yourself because I want to talk about the complexity of family relationships. Listen, I know I want to talk about how the Bible should guide us and lead us and how we should be bold enough to say, I don't have to apologize for letting this be my guiding light. The world has tried everything else and look where we're at. The church has often tried everything. Come on, somebody. Many, many people in the Bible had messed up families. Hello, somebody. I'm, I'm just trying to work through the scripture. I'm trying to say, all right, Lord, I got to find this perfect family in the Bible so I can present to the church, give us a model, work through it, one, two, three. Me and Breno sitting down working on the ser circle of sermon writing and we got this one, we got four sermons and all those things. We got to find this perfect, perfect, perfect family. You know what I thought about? In the Bible? Jesus. I mean, he's got to have the perfect family. Imagine being in Jesus' family. Imagine you were one of Jesus' brothers. Come on, you know how you like to brag on your family sometimes? Jesus' brother. Nobody knows your name. They only know you as the brother of Jesus. Right? Like it. Just Jesus' brother. Like, wait, you're James. You're like the half-brother of Jesus, right? 
Your family's got to be perfect, James. What? Right? Like your, your listen, Jesus is in your family. It's got to be perfect. But I'm going I'm I'm to take you to a scripture that might just blow you away. Go, go to Mark chapter 3. If anyone had a perfect family, it's going to be Jesus, right? Wrong. Before I read this to you, raise your hand if any of you guys ever watched that TV show, Intervention. I see y'all ain't wanting to admit it because you're afraid your family was gone there. You know, you know what this show is, right? Like intervention, right? Like somebody in the family's got a big old issue and, and they can't overcome this issue and the family's put up with it for so long and they're tired of putting up with it and they decide, they decide, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do an intervention and then they're going to film it. Put on TV. You know, why, you know why the daytime talk shows were so popular among everybody like Ricky Lake and Maury Povich? You, you remember those? Some of y'all remember those, right? Who, who else? Dr. Phil? What were you thinking? Dr. Phil? You, you know, like uh, Geraldo? Jerry Springer. You know why Jerry Springer was so popular? Because all y'all could relate. Jesus got the perfect family, right? Wrong intervention happens, right? Y'all know that TV show. And this big drama thing plays out inside of all of it. I want y'all to watch the very first intervention that ever happened. It wasn't no TV cameras, but it got recorded and put in the Bible for all eternity. Y'all not ready for this? It's, I don't have a trick Bible. It is in your book. Mark chapter 3. Y'all ready? Verse 20, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowd began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take Jesus away saying, he has lost his mind. <laughs> it's, it's, Brenda, it's right there. You see it, Brenda? It's right there. His family heard about what was happening. Jesus doing all this stuff, right? He's just running around and, and, and preaching and doing all this teaching. All these people are gathering around and, and they fill up this house one day. And, and, and Jesus' family's like, we, we, we've had enough. We, this, this can't be happening. What is going on with Jesus? That's it. We're going over there. And they showed up at the house, right, to do an intervention. And, and basically what they said is he lost his mind. He has lost his ever-loving mind. We got to go get him. We can't, we can't have everybody know he's related to us. So they, they begin to march down there. It's right there in your book. He is out of his mind. It's right there in the book, church. An intervention. Go over to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brother came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him. Because remember, there's so many people in there you can't get in the house. To come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who's my mother? 
Who's my brother? But then he looked around and he said to them, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will, or God's will, is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Come on, church. In John chapter 7, verse 5, right there, the Bible declares to you that Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him. So Jesus didn't have a perfect family. Everybody go, phew. Because you're off the hook. This is my first point. This is what I want you to get to today. There's no such thing as a perfect family. It's not there. If Jesus didn't have one, come on, church. If you listen, if you've ever thought about somebody in your family had lost their mind, come on, you fit right in with Jesus. If you ain't never thought that, they thought that about you. It lost your mind. This has got to be a relief to everybody in the room. This has got to be a relief to everyone in the room. See, here's the pressure. Man, I will love Jesus. I want to take my, church, my family to church. But then you live in a world with people who know your family ain't perfect. And instantly, condemnation comes into your life. You can't go to church. I know you. You can't go to church. I know how your family acts. What you going to do in there? Oh, that church over there? It's got a bunch of crazy people in it. That church over there? That's a cult. Why is it a cult? Because they got a bunch of crazy people in there. Them people, them, them, them people were sinners. Them people were out. Man, those people were, I knew them one time, all them people who go over there. They used to be involved in sin. They used to drink and be involved in drugs. They used to have bad families. They used to, they used to suffer all kinds of things. They weren't walking with Jesus. They used to, but listen to me, church. That's the great thing about the body of Christ. Uh, what I used to be ain't what I am no more. Because I met Jesus one day. Amen. And he turned my life around. Put my feet on the solid ground and set me in a family of faith. Call me crazy if you want to. That's all right. One day Jesus is going to call me home. And I'm going to be crazy in heaven. You know what? You know what I want to ask all those people who tell me that I can't love Jesus or live for Jesus or walk for Jesus now because of all the things in my past? You know what I ask all those people? How'd you escape? I'm sick of them. I'm sick of people looking at me and going, oh, brother. I, you didn't escape. You didn't. You need Jesus as much as I did. Just because my brokenness looked different than yours? Come on, church. Just because my restoration looks different than yours? The Bible records the first argument between a husband and wife in chapter 3 of the book. Adam's blaming Eve for what went wrong. And in chapter 4, we have our first sibling rivalry. Come on church, Cain kills Abel. The Bible got some jacked up families. 
from the beginning. And we got some jacked up families. That's why we need Jesus. As much as we want to be like, come on church, Ward and June Cleaver. As much as we want to be like Ward and June Cleaver, the truth is your family might look more like Archie and Edith Bunker. <laughs> the Simpsons. We want to be perfect. Listen, I know all y'all, y'all watching Andy Griffith because it's a family show. Otis was the only one in the whole entire town that was married and he was a drunk. <laughs> Everybody else is single. Everybody. Even Floyd, the barber. And Donnie. Listen, I'm just telling you right now. Poor Barney. He is the biggest player in town. This is a, talking about this is a family show. Barney's singing on the phone to Juanita down at the restaurant. At the same time, hello somebody. <laughs> family show. I want to be like Mayberry. That's why we all need Jesus. There's no such thing as a perfect family. Listen, only families that live by godly principles survive and thrive. I don't want to give you no cliche, but the family prays together, stays together. Come on, church. Family goes to church together. Come on, church. Like that. This is a priority, right? Listen, if I were to ask you what does it take to have a successful family, every attribute you would give me would be an attribute of God. If we're going to be a perfect family, we've got to be a family full of love. We've got to be a family full of peace. We've got to be a family full of forgiveness. We've got to be a family full of honor. Every attribute you would give me to be a perfect family would be an attribute of God. What better place than in a communal family of faith to come and learn how our family at home should live and walk? Mother Teresa said this. She says, what can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. One famous father, he understood that it took some amazing godly principles for a family to survive and thrive. And one day he stood up in front of a hundred thousand people or more. And I'm going to paraphrase. And here's what he said. Look, you do what's right for you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. His name was Joshua. He understood that it doesn't take perfection to make great family, but it does take God. I need you to settle this right now in, in your heart. And I'll, I'll say this forever. When my wife and I first got this, our, part of our testimony, our family was a wreck. We first got saved, and there was a little church who didn't care. They just saw us come to Jesus, and they started loving on us. And, and I want you to understand, we made a commitment that that's the way we were going to live our life. And it was because of that commitment of faith, we were going to be in church when the church was open. We, we rearranged our whole life, not to, to let church kind of fill in the schedule, 
But to say, this is when we go to church, the rest of the schedule fills in. This is the way we're going to be in church because we are learning how to live. God has given us something that nothing else could give us. As a matter of fact, everything else was trying to take away from us the blessing God had given us. But now all of a sudden, I'm in an environment and in a place, right, where I'm starting to survive and thrive. And the attributes of God are being instilled into my family. And that's what we wanted more than anything. It's important to be in church with your family. This brings me to my last point here. It doesn't take perfection to make a great family, but it does take work. I, I jotted down a statement Breno made this week. Him and I were talking about a couple of things, and he says, it's not about perfection, but it is about progress. I was like, hold, hold on. Type that out. Most of us can relate to what a comedian once said. I think his name was George Burns. And he said this. We can relate to it. He says, happiness is having a large family. Happiness is having a loving family. Happiness is having a caring and close-knit family that lives in another city. <laughs> we just worked through an incredible marriage sermon series. Marriages stay work. And until you embrace that, you will embrace the struggle. Being a parent takes work. Your kids are not somebody else's responsibility. They're your responsibility. And the way they live their life directly reflects on how serious we take our responsibility. Everything's not perfect. But we've got an example of what to do when it's not. Being a parent takes work. Disciplining, teaching, Guiding our children takes work. And I often say this. The statistic is that husbands and wives actually spend 16 minutes a day talking to each other. Out of a 24-hour day. First four minutes when they wake up. The last four minutes before they go out the door. The first four minutes when they come into work. And the last four minutes before they go to bed. 16 minutes. Now, I would dare to say that if that statistic is true and based on 20 years of marriage counseling, I would say, yeah. The time we're spending with our kids has to be less than that. At least healthy time. You might be, you might be spending time chasing them around, screaming at them, or trying to beat the devil out. I mean, discipline the devil out of them. <laughs> There is no more important gift as a parent than your child. Being a good brother or sister, that takes work. Being a grandparent, that takes work. Being a father-in-law, a mother-in-law, a brother or sister-in-law, that takes work. 
and say this. Interacting with annoying family members. That takes work. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. You just know when you go into that family reunion. My wife's like, man, you hadn't eaten for two days. Yeah, we go into family reunion. I've been fasting. Why you been fasting? Because you know who's going to be there. It takes work. First Timothy chapter 3. Even though it says, let deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling. Everybody say ruling. That means working with their children and their own household well. It applies to us all. But in particular, when God gives us good faith leaders. Hello, somebody. Our, our objections for them should not be to be perfect, but to be willing to be perfected. And then follow the goodness of those things. Working with children and, and, and your households doesn't mean there isn't any issues if there weren't any issues, there wouldn't be any work to do. It takes work, church. Your family is worth fighting for. And if you don't fight for them, the world's going to take them. And this is not a word of condemnation. You say, hey, Pastor Don, well, I, I, I've, got this, I've got this sermon series, right? Like a year too late. My family's already broken. I don't have, so what now? It still applies. Just because brokenness enters into our life doesn't mean God has departed. As a matter of fact, we need God even more. And so I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about this idea of what it means to fight for our families. To rebuild the foundations in our life properly. That's what happened to my wife and I in 1992 when we got saved. We start to rebuild. Instead of building on sand, instead of building on those things, we, we start to rebuild on this. Yeah. And, and we couldn't soak it in enough. And whatever people told us to do, we just did it. And still today... When the storms come, when the rain falls, when the earth shakes, I don't panic. You know why? Because I'm sure of the foundation. I don't care who you are as a family. Troubles will always come. Spiritually, physically, financially. The storms aren't going to stop. That's why a foundation is important. It doesn't matter if you're single now. It, matter, it doesn't matter what it's... Family is for you. And in the context of faith, the communal family is very important. That's why Jesus addressed it. And that's what we're going to build the next few weeks out of. There's no such thing as a perfect family. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, just, take, just be relieved. And when we live by godly principles, we then begin to survive and thrive. When, when, when it, it, it doesn't take perfection to make a great family 
But it does take work. Come on, somebody. It does take purpose. And, and, and here's what I want to ask you this morning as we close. How many of you are at least willing to work on your family? Come on. I'm willing. I might not get it right, but I'm willing to work on my family. When we preach sermons, we just don't want to fill a Sunday morning with time slot, just with a, a nice little uh, sermonette. We want to be on purpose that leads us into growing together. Listen, here's what I believe. When families are strong, the local church is strong. And when the local church is strong, the kingdom of God is strong. Do you understand that? And for all those people who would try and place judgment on the fact that I don't have a perfect family. Again, I'm not sidetracked by it because I, I know they didn't escape. They're just not admitting it. And that removes the burden from me for being condemned or feeling like i got to make an excuse. Right? The first guy to say the whole reason my wife was leaving six months after we got married is because I was a jerk. God came in. Hello, somebody. God came in and changed our hearts and lives. Jesus settled into our family. Stand with me. There's one young lady. She's been here a time or two from Florida. Her name is, she might be watching today. Her name is Chelsea. Back then, she was a Diaz. Chelsea Diaz. Now she's a Gibson. And her and my daughter were best friends. And they ran all over the place together. It was little bitty girls. Chelsea had a go-kart. They drove that thing up and down a dirt road like nobody's business. They were all over the place together. They went to school together. They were either at our house or her house. It was, there was never a time when they weren't together. And they're still great friends to this day. And I remember at our house... We had this tradition each night. We would sit down at the table and eat dinner together. At the table. Turned off the TV. Sat down at the table. And prayed. And we ate together. And we talked to one another. Imagine that. We talked to one another. And I remember the first time little Chelsea was at our house. And spending the night. We were going to have dinner. It freaked her out. She's like, oh, we have to sit at the table? Yes. And we can't, we sit here until we're done? Yes. What do we do? We eat. And we talk. About what? She fell in love with dinners at our house. To this day, she'll tell you those stories. It was that time when God was kneading us together. Amen. And rebuilding family. Maybe dinner time is not your time. It was our time. I'm not trying. Hello, somebody. This is what God was doing with us. It was that moment at the end of the day where we decided, hey, we are spending time together. Oftentimes after dinner, then a game would break out. Right? Sorry. I hate that game. <laughs> My wife, 
she will not me off the board. Doug said this the other night, right? Like, what is it? Why? They just on purpose want to knock us off the board. Who said that? You need Jesus. <laughs> Made me go all the way back. So much fun. And the stories of Jesus building us. Incredible. We'll tell a lot of those over the next few weeks. I hope you're looking forward to this. But my question is this. How many of us? Come on. How many of us are at least willing to work on our family? You are not less than because of someone else. You are not less than because of a scar. Jesus knew that. And inside the kingdom of God, you have everything you need. Maybe you don't have a dad. There's a spiritual one around. Maybe you don't have a mom. There's a spiritual one around. Maybe you don't have a grandmother. There's a spiritual one around. Come on. Maybe you don't have brothers. There's a, come on. God is joining us in great ways. And so Nehemiah encourages in the beginning of his book, families, understand how important you are. Fight for each other. Fight for each other. Father, today in this place, God, we just want to lift our voice and say thank you for a word that leads us into encouragement. God, that sets us in battle array, not just for a fight, but for the right fight. God, the devil is our enemy, not our family. Help us to fight for our family. Help us, Jesus, as we grow in what you're doing. Bless us in this series, God. Lord bless you. Come on, sing this song. Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. Lord turn his face toward you. Come on, church. And give Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's sing it. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. Say at the end of a prayer, don't you?
Come on, church. Just raise your hand and receive it as a blessing from the Lord. Your family, your children, yeah. and their children, and their children. And Savior, Hallelujah. upon you in a thousand generations. And your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May His favor be upon you in a thousand generations. And your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May His favor be upon you. Come on, church. Just receive the favor of the Lord. Just receive the favor of the Lord. I think this is a timely message uh, our country is struggling the time for Jesus return is near amen and the security that we seek isn't going to be found politically financially economically but it will be found in the kingdom of God and God puts a priority on family with that being said I, I want us to just pray for our country amen it's on the precipice, the cusp, if you're a history student of any sort. It's a time like no other, amen? Jesus is the answer, amen? I said, the lamb is the answer. Come on, church. Not a donkey or an elephant. I said, a lamb. You might know him as a lion, and that's all right, too. But this country is ours. God gave it to us. Hello, somebody. We were born here for a reason. We weren't born somewhere else. We were born here. And I believe in a great calling. I believe in a city set on a hill. I believe a light to the world. And that's not because of a political party that's in that's because in this country we have the freedom to worship the one true living God and with that freedom I think we should pray for our country will you join me? Father, today we lift up our voice 
Lord, you said if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, repent of their wicked ways, then you would heal their land. Today, God, we stand in your presence. We stand in proxy. We stand in for our country. Lord, we'll do our part in the physical. But thank you, God, that you do your part in eternal purpose. We want to join with you in that purpose in the days and months going ahead of what it means to be a light in a dark world. Father, help us not to receive fear or anxiety because of what's going on around us. Help us to receive your peace and be that light. God, this country's going to need the kingdom of God. It's going to need the church more now than it ever has. Help us, God, to have the right words to say. Help us to be a uniting factor. Help us to be someone, uh, an organization on planet. You left us here to be a light, God. So help us, God, in this moment in time, shine bright for you. Lord, we lay our country at your feet and say, have your way. Have your way. Do what only you can do, God. In the next few days, God, we'll pray and fast even more. And say, Jesus, would you be Jesus? Jesus, you are king and you are Lord. That is higher than any office on this earth. And so, Jesus, we say, thank you for sitting on the throne. Rule and reign and we'll follow you. We pray a blessing on our country. We pray, God, that you will continue to pour out, Lord, your hand on us. Don't withdraw your hand because of the brokenness of this world. But thank you, God, that you pour yourself out even more. Set the church on fire, God, for your glory and for your honor. We embrace it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around and tell somebody, fight for your family.